Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 30-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. This week, I'm curious about how we can be less rude to bees. They're just a bunch of little babies. I'm so excited to talk to you. I can't even handle it. Dr. Knight, welcome to Getting Curious. And you guys, it is not Bill Nye. It is gorgeous Dr. Nye, whose name is James, but we're going to say Dr. Nye because I'm very official around here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm so excited for you to be here. So you are, well, basically my question for you is, is what, what's going on with bees? What, what is going on with bees? It's a very general question. Right. We're going to meander all through the woods together on this. Okay. Um, and first of all, let me just say, you know, you guys, uh, I'm obsessed with like a doctor. I love a title. Like I, I just, <laughs> I think it's amazing. And your, your titles are vast and aplenty. You literally went to Harvard and Cornell and then you did, I mean, and you got the Harvard junior fellow. I mean, you're literally just like the smartest person. <laughs> like you're, it's outrageous. It's amazing. And you are a bee specialist. Like, you, like science, I mean, I, I, I mean, like based off of what I read about you, but, but like, do you just quickly tell the children listening what you do, what you're like, what's like a day in the life of, of Dr. Nye? <laughs> sure. So I am a behavioral ecologist that studies animal behavior and I focus on bees. So you might say that I'm also an entomologist, but in terms of what I identify as, I would say more as an animal behaviorist or a behavioral ecologist. And very simply put, my life's ambition growing up was to talk to the animals. And Ugh. that's why I'm focused on bee language. I love that story so much. It's amazing. <laughs> so um, what's an entomologist? An entomologist is someone who studies insects. Got it. Okay, great. So, okay, so that's, and so, and basically your day-to-day -day is like you work on like different studies about bees and just kind of what's going on with them. And like, do you focus on certain species or? I do. So mainly I work on different species of honeybees. And right now I focused on um, three different species of honeybees, hoping to add a fourth species. And then in the tropics, um, some of the bees that we don't have that are highly social, like honeybees, I've also studied them as well. Got it. So, okay, so that's amazing. We actually did this one episode of Getting Curious with this evolutionary biologist about, like, all of the mass extinctions. Like, the there's, I think, six, if my memory serves me right, or five. There's five or six. I, I think it depends how you count them, but yes. Uh -huh. But they're, like, those, like, big-ass mass extinctions, and she taught me about it, and it was, like, crazy. Um, so, you know— if if you've been reading the news at all in the last few years, you've definitely seen that occasional article about like this like zombie bee thing, mm -hmm. which is where my initial curiosity for this question of what's going on with bees came from. So I guess, you know, to start from the beginning more broadly, it's like, what's going on with bees? So in general, you're right. The bees are facing, it's hard to call it a mass extinction because there's a very technical definition for that, but definitely going through a major extinction period like many other organisms. And it's great that you bring that up because people, when they say to me, what's up with the bees, they, they really are thinking about honeybees. And in fact, that is really just a small tip of the iceberg with the bee community. Honeybees are remarkable, and I do study them uh, quite a great deal in my own research because they're found throughout the world. But they're also remarkable because they're kind of like us. When you think, of why are humans so successful? Um, 
there's something about honeybees of which there are only about nine species, depending again how you how you slice and dice them. Of honeybees or bees altogether? Uh, of honeybees. There are actually thousands of species of bees. Thousands of species of bees. Right. How many is there? Is there a lot in North America? There are. There are hundreds of species in North America. But if you go into the tropics, then you really start going crazy and you have all these wonderful species. Is there any ones that are like different colors besides yellow and black? There are. They come in. Uh, there are some actually that are gorgeous. They're the euglossine bees. And they um, basically look sort of like Lady Gaga in some kind of metallic spacesuit that's glistening green and gold and violet. Uh, yes, please. <laughs> I love that. So, um, okay. So there's thousands of species of bees and then there's nine like specifically more of honeybees. And then is this disease, is is she in all the bees or is she just in honeybees, the zombie one, like the zombie disease? So the, the zombie bee disease is really, uh, f- we mainly know about it in what's called the Western honeybee or a species known as Apis bellifera. That's the common one that people find around here. And in fact, it's the only species of honeybee that we have. In, in North, North America. America. It is? Yes. So we only have one of the nine. Right. And it's actually an invasive species in the sense that it doesn't belong here. It How did was, it get here? It was imported by early European settlers. Ugh. They were doing the most, weren't they? They they were. And actually the gold rush in California is part of that. There are records that basically a hive of honey brought over around um, the tip of South America was worth its weight in gold when it finally came to California. And that was the start of apiculture in California. What, uh, what a culture? Yeah, uh, apiculture, what? The, the keeping of bees. Oh, gorge. So basically to recap, expert on honeybees, there's nine in general. We have one. And the one that we have that was actually an originally an invasive species from South America, right? That, so did they come because they wanted to make more bees here and we didn't have enough? So they brought them and now they're like everywhere? So yeah, bees were brought over from all over the world, largely from Western Europe. But in some cases, they were imported from Africa, the famous Africanized bees. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Don't even get me started on the killer African bees. <laughs> right. Oh my God! The, yeah, like what about the African bees? Like, because because they like they're the ones that'll kill you, right? Well, they, they they can. Although you could say that a normal honeybee could as well. So there were basically these waves of different importations of species of Apis mellifera into the New World, into Central, South, and North America. And it was just that one of these kind of went horribly wrong. There was an experiment um, because honeybees in Brazil weren't doing as well as the Brazilians wanted. So they followed a long tradition of, okay, we'll bring in some new genes. We'll import some African queens. And they were brought over and they were put inside the colonies. And then they were supposed to go and and mix. And, And they did hybridize. But the problem is that what they produced was extremely successful. So the the beekeepers, in a sense, succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. They created a kind of super bee, a bee that was highly aggressive, that was very successful at defending against predators, fighting off diseases, and actually would spread like wildfire. Mm. And then those are the ones that kind of had those like swarms that came into like California and did like mess some people up or did it kill them? Like it, it people have died from them before, right? Or no? Like, they, is that, yeah, they have. Because like in, in my girl, in my girl, Macaulay Culkin, were those radicalized African bees? Oh, I don't remember that one. Honey, so Macaulay Culkin and that girl from Veep, Anna, uh-huh. Anna Chomsky, they were walking in the woods and they kicked a hive and he had like went an anaphylactic shock and he died in this movie. Macaulay Culkin's character did. And my girl was very iconic in the early 90s. Wow. 
but but so but we don't know what kind of species they were because you didn't see it. But if you have a minute to look at it later, you'll you'll okay. be like, oh my god, that was a thing. So okay, great. So but basically, the ones right now in America, uh, they are going through this disease thing, this zombie bee thing. Right. So the zombie bee thing, to get back to that to yeah. point, is actually probably not a huge problem for bees, but it's very grabbing and arresting because when we think about an alien thing growing inside of an animal and controlling that animal's behavior, that's pretty startling. It it makes us think of the alien movies, for example. So that kind of um, pathogen, which I think is what the the zombie bee is – phenomenon is about right yeah because it like ticks or something like it it, like like it takes it over and it like makes it move but it's not controlling itself or something it's this like awful thing yeah and and then basically there are other examples in ants as well where this fungus will infest the ant or the bee and then it will actually change its behavior so the ant will climb to the top of the tip of grass yes where the next predator eats it and then transmits the disease onward oh my god yeah ew I don't like that pathogen at all. It's pretty gross. So is that the only one that's affecting bees or is there, or is there like other issues with bees population and and what's going on with them across the globe? Like, like what's the, like, cause aren't they kind of, it's not going great in some places, right? Well, there are five major problems that are affecting honeybees and many of them affect also other bees as well. The first one is disease. So bacteria, viruses, things like this, and and fungi as well, actually. Nosema serrani is a fungal-like organism that we study in our lab. Another problem are parasites. So varroa, which is kind of like a, a tick or a mite, and if it were the size of a human, it would be about the size of your head in proportion to a bee, these things cause the majority wait, of bee wait, death. Wait, like, wait, stand by. If, wait, what? If the, if you're the size of your head, if you're, wait, so like, so they're bigger than the bee. No, they're about the size of the bee's head. So Oh, that, I got it, I got it, I got it. Okay, so this would be something the size of my head. Yes. And then what does it do to me? Uh, it sucks your blood. Oh my fucking God. We'll have to beep that F out. Or maybe we don't have to. I don't know. Oh, my God. But so, but it, so, so, so why? So it, uh, its method of reproduction is the, the females go inside the cells where the baby bees, the larvae, are being um, reared. And they infest the cells. They reproduce inside. They suck the blood of the developing bee. And then they come out and they go on to the next stage. They actually are only on the adults to disperse. They're, they're really their life cycle. Is so they don't kill the, the bee cells. that it, it does. It doesn't kill the bee that it sucks the blood of. It can greatly weaken it. But the worst part is it transmits infections. When we think of mosquitoes and malaria, it's doing something similar. It is a vehicle for the pathogens to get to the baby bees. Oh, but then the baby bees don't get born, right? Like, don't they die? Some of them can die. Or um, what's quite common is they'll be they'll be born with a heavy viral load, like deformed wing virus, so they can't fly, and all they do have are these little sort of crinkly wings. No, and then they and that's so sad. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, so that's one of the diseases. And then what else? Right. And I just want to emphasize that is the major cause of honeybee deaths during the winter when about thirty percent of colonies die. Yeah. So I was reading about. Okay, I got to put a pin in that winter thing because I got to come back to that because that's really interesting. But what else are the bees facing? Sure. So we've got insecticides as well, and that's been a lot in the news. The neonicotinoids. The European Union is thinking about a new ban that's more comprehensive. Okay, because I did read this thing about last year how some. 
something happened where they sprayed the bees like at night or in the morning, something about like they sprayed right before like they come out to feed or something or do something. And then it was just like, like a whole forest full of like tens of thousands of dead honeybees. It was on like South Carolina or Georgia last summer. Mm-hmm. It was like right when we were shooting Queer Eye and it happened on the news and it was like dev and they were like, well, how can we prevent this? And they were like, well, we'll not use these, these things. But that is like a thing that just like can wipe out so many bees. Right. Yeah, overspraying and incorrect usage and, and even correct usage because it can build up and it contaminates our water and our soil. So that's a problem. Oh, so that can have like actually like effects, you know, for people because it can like get into like soil and all sorts of stuff. Exactly. It, it can get into honey products to some degree. Normally, they're not considered to be very toxic to humans, but it's unclear over a lifetime of exposure to hundreds of different kinds of pesticides, what will happen. Honey. Yeah, exactly. Oh, oh my God. That was really meta because I was just like, honey. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Um, okay, so then pesticides and then that the, the onslaught of all the diseases and then what else? Okay, so there's two more left of the five. Uh, one is basically bee management practices. In the United States, we have a system where bees are very important for our agriculture. For example, when you think about the more than $2 billion almond crop each year, that is exclusively pollinated by honeybees. So every year we have um, over a million colonies all around the country that are packed up in semi-trailers and then shipped around the country and transported to pollinate these major crops, which is good because it gives beekeepers a reason. They get money for pollinating to keep the bees, but it also means that they can spread diseases. So, you know, Quite a few hundreds of thousands of colonies come to California to pollinate almonds, and if they're in close proximity and they're disoriented because they've been moved around, they may be able to spread diseases. Oh, they get disoriented? Yeah, so they the, each bee has to learn where its home is, and they learn via landmarks, and they have to learn the time of day that the sun is out and how the sun is moving across the sky. So all of these things are really important. If you move them from one place to another, there will be temporary disorientation. And then what's the other thing? Okay, the final thing is nutrition. Mm. So bees like us need good nutrition. They uh, eat pollen. They drink nectar. The pollen gives them the fats, the uh, proteins. The nectar is just pure carbs. Ah. (laughs) Okay, so the pollen gives them the fat and the protein, which I actually know that because I think that you can eat those little fleckles of pollen, those little dry things of pollen. But I think I'm allergic because I was trying to – because someone said that that would make my psoriasis better. So I was trying to have it, but then it was making my throat swell shut. Oh, dear. Like I was like scratchy throat, like like Mm -hmm. after I would – is that a thing? It's possible that if you are allergic to pollen, that having too much of it can provoke an overreaction. Yeah, my throat was dying. Yeah. Um, Okay, so that's it. Okay, so but basically – and then the the other thing is carbs. But so what? So that we don't have enough pollen in the things because of like global warming or something, so they're going hungry or something? So two things, habitat loss. So the kinds of natural plants that they would be visiting are diminishing and sometimes hard for colonies uh, later in the season to get enough food to survive through the winter. But another major problem is just the monofloral agriculture that we have. So imagine that they go out and all there is is corn pollen or all there is is this one crop of uh, oilseed rape, for example. And so instead of eating a diverse, well-balanced diet, which is what they normally would like to do, they've just got this one thing. And and that doesn't give them the nutrients they really need. Okay, you guys. So but to put that in a box, it's that uh, bees are kind of like us. And we have to take a really quick break. We'll be right back with uh, Morgan and Curious and more with Dr. Nye in 2.5. So don't leave. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Oh, my God. Dr. Nye. 
what I just learned is that basically bees are kind of like us. They need proper nutrition. They need like, you know, stability and stuff. One question that I had from all that cool stuff I just learned is why do we have to move the bees around? Like why can't the honeybees in California just stay here all the time and then we can keep the ones that need to pollinate the other stuff? You know, like, why do we have to move them around? That's a great question. I actually asked uh, some beekeepers that question, and they pointed out that once the almonds have stopped blooming, what will the bees eat then? Oh. And so one disadvantage— They can't just eat the flower pollen? Like, can't they just fly around and eat the flower pollen or something? Right, but they're no longer in a natural landscape, so that natural mix of plants where there'd always be something uh, flowering for them to eat is not there. Okay. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but— Oh, my God. Okay. So how does pollination work? Like, so what, there's like, how do almonds grow on trees? Right. Okay, okay, okay. I literally didn't know that, so thank God that was right. So they grow on trees, so what, like they, a bunch of white boxes full of bees come out and they open up the little door and all the bees fly out on the almond trees and everyone's just wearing those like ever after white nets so they don't get stung and then every day they fly back in a, you know what I mean? Right. So a bee, in order to produce enough uh, honey, in order to collect enough nectar, each bee has to visit hundreds to thousands of individual flowers during her lifetime. So she'll visit one flower from one almond tree and then move on to the next tree, and so she'll carry the pollen from one to the next. So she's pollinating the flowers that grow before the almond. She's not even fucking with the almonds. Correct. Got it. So the trees are out there. They're just flower. They're just blooming. Almond trees are blooming beautifully, and the, and the bees take the pollen out, and then they... Well, they're, they're not actually physically trying to pollinate in a sense because the pollen adheres to hairs on their body. And so when they're collecting the nectar, some of that pollen is brushed off and rubbed onto the flower. Oh, cute. Okay. So what's pollination then? What, 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 is, what is it? What is it? Um, it's sex. Oh, yes. It's sex. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes. Keep talking about that to me. So the pollen is the equivalent of animal sperm. And it needs to be transferred to the female parts. And then once the pollen is there and it's fertile, it'll actually grow this pollen tube through which the genetic material of the pollen is transferred, fertilizes the equivalent of the egg, and then you can develop a seed or, in this case, an almond. Oh, my God. And then the almonds are literally the fertilized eggs of that process? Right. So an almond is a little plant embryo that you could plant and grow into an almond tree. Wow. That is so cool. Um, And so that's why bees are so important because, like, they make all of these foods. Okay, so that makes more sense. How is, like, another one that they pollinate work? Like, what else are bees important in making? Like, what other crops do they have to do? Oh, so there are huge numbers of uh, uh, seed crops. But one thing that people don't realize is that things like alfalfa and hay can be bee pollinated. Not necessarily honeybees, but bees in general. Um, when we talk about carrots, they actually are responsible for pollinating carrots. You can get carrot seed, you know, the kind you buy in little packets, and a whole variety of different crops. But what's really interesting is that if you look at what's important for human nutrition, the vitamins, um, the things that are also high value that, uh, frankly, richer societies enjoy, those tend to be disproportionately bee pollinated. Mm-hmm. And so high quality human food, ironically, is something that we depend upon for the bees. That's really interesting. What about like all the different kinds of bees? Mm -hmm. Like how are they different? Where do they live? What's their deal? Like are any doing better against the onslaught of all these five things than other ones are? It seems that the Africanized bees may be doing a little bit better than the European honeybees. 
Um, bees are a huge, diverse thing. Maybe you've heard the statement that, um, you know, God loved beetles mm. uh, because there are so many species of beetles. And it could also apply to bees because there are so many species of, of bees. And the reason for this is that with the evolution of the angiosperms, the flowering plants, previously the, this was an innovation that did not exist. We also had the evolution of bees to pollinate all these flowers because the whole point of flowers, uh, now, nowadays there's some self-pollinating flowers as well, but in general is that they are there to um, facilitate sex between different members of the same species. Bees are. Yes. I love that. Bees are so cute. <laughs> they They're are. just making like plants, plants, sexy time needs be met. Right. Which is great of them. Plants need to have intimacy. Um, so one of the things that you study that's like super duper interesting is like how bees communicate and like how they interact. And because you like, so what about that? Like what are some of the ways that they interact with each other? Right. So the, the main reason why I study bees is because I'm interested in the evolution of animal language. And I was drawn to it because bees turn out to use something called referential communication. They encode information. They basically can tell each other where to go to find food and other resources. So in this dance that they do, these workers, tell each other what distance and direction to go from the colony to find that delicious flower. How? So uh, it's encoded in a dance where they are basically telling you the direction in this waggle run where they're waggling their abdomen uh, relative to the sun. So in other words, if let's say this flower is 100 meters in the direction of the sun, the dance would be pointed with um, her head straight up inside the nest, and it would have an interval of a little bit less than one second. But now, let's say it's in the direction of the sun, but one kilometer away. She's pointed uh, straight up inside the nest, but she dances for one second. So what she's basically doing is drawing a little bit of a map with her body in the dance of where you need to go relative to the sun to find that food. Wow, which is why like the whole disorientation thing is like such a big deal because... Like, if they don't know where they are relative to the sun, they can't communicate with each other about, like, where to go get food. Right. Wow. Is there any other ways that they communicate? Like, any other ways? So they also use sounds to communicate and vibrations. That's one of the things that we study. They have something called a stop signal, which they can use to stop uh, recruitment for a bad food source. Bad meaning there's a predator there. Let's say there's a spider there. Uh, they also have other signals that help to coordinate their social behavior inside the nest. And they also use odors to a great extent. We talked a little bit about the queen pheromone. Oh, so just different odors they use and some different noises. Um, what about the venom? Do, like, what is, like, what does their venom do? So bee venom uh, is actually a complex mixture of different things. It has some compounds that induce pain some compounds that induce inflammation, others that actually induce necrosis, the you know decay of your flesh. And all of these together are des designed to provide a potent cocktail that attacks you in multiple ways so that that injury is memorable. Do any bees kill their prey to eat it? No, but there are uh, there is a kind of necrophagic bee, meaning bees that eat dead animals. That's not a honeybee; it's a stingless bee. However, it is social, and they only find animals that are already dead, and they basically um, regurgitate their saliva, which dissolves little bits of flesh that they carry back and store inside a, in their colony in a liquid form. So there are some stingless bees. There are stingless bees. Yes. Cute, love, interesting. Do they really die after they sting you? 
So honeybees generally do, except for queen bees. Well, shit. That's kind of devastating. And why does this happen? Well, it happens because um, the honeybee has evolved a stinger that looks a little bit like a harpoon or an arrowhead. And so when the stinger penetrates the flesh, it stays behind. But it's a very clever evolutionary strategy because the poison gland is still alive and is still pumping the venom into you like a hypodermic needle while the bee flies around you and distracts you. So in essence, the honeybee delivers much more poison into you with this strategy than if she were to just stab you and run. It's like so rude of her. (laughs) Yes. Um, But the queen bee doesn't die? Right. The queen bee typically would not sting you. Um, She uses her sting to kill other queens in queen-to-queen combat. But she can't die because her goal is to kill the other queens and be the only one left standing to take over the colony. So in that case, she can't leave her sting up. So her sting is actually smooth and it's like a hypodermic needle. No barbs. Oh, so it's so she can sting you and then pull it back in. Exactly. It doesn't because in a normal honeybee, it just penetrates and then it flies away and it like leaves itself there. So it kind of and that's why it dies because it like rips out its intestines or something. Exactly. Nast. Do bees have intestines? They do. Yeah, and part of the guts do come out with the stinger. Gross. <laughs> um, do they have other similar body parts to us? Like, do they have stomachs? Do they have lungs? They do have stomachs. They don't have lungs. They have trachea. Um, they don't really have a heart in the way that we do. They do have a brain, though, and some of the way the brain is organized, different structures for memory, for um, processing visual information, you could see as analogous to us. Ooh, cute. Okay, that's interesting. So, um, and uh, the queen-to-queen combat thing, like, what the what? how would that happen? So there's two colonies. They're minding their own business. One's on one tree. One's on the other tree across the football field. Why do the queens come for each other? So I would say queen-to-queen combat is more common within a single colony. Um, So when a queen dies, she has to be replaced. And she would typically be replaced by her daughters that would be reared to be queens. Now, you might say, well, I'll just rear one daughter. She will be the chosen one to take over the colony. But she could die. She could die. And you put all of your eggs in that one daughter. Yeah, not smart. So um, the colony will raise multiple queens. And um, a queen is actually just a normal female egg that's fed special food, royal jelly, and put into a larger cell. So Let's unpack that a little bit. Okay. So she is fed royal jelly, right. which is just some nasty bee stuff or something. Uh-huh. And, or it's gorgeous. What uh, is it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a complex mixture of different proteins, which are important for changing the genetic fate of a female from being a normal female worker to becoming a queen. And only queens make the royal jelly that the babies get? Like, where do they, who makes it? Actually, the workers make the royal jelly. So her daughters decide on who will become the favored ones. Oh, the queen bee's daughters that make the royal jelly are like, I like you, little girl. Like, you're going to get it. Right. It, it may be a random process, but actually there, there is a suggestion that there are some royal lineages that occur that have preferential treatment. That's so interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so then sometimes like a bunch of them get reared up and then it's and then the, their mom or the queen dies and there's like three that are ready and three just have to have like a battle royale to see who wins. Right. And they the colony would like to avoid that. Um, so what happens is the first queen to emerge will go and sting all the other queens inside their cells because she has the advantage. Ew. What's a cell? So a, a cell, if you think about a honeycomb, it's got these little holes inside. Each one of those is a cell. The queen cell looks kind of like a peanut because it's, it's long and it sticks out. It's a little bit droopy. So that's because the queen is physically much larger than a worker. 
Oh, and so she'll go around to all the droopy holes and sting them when they're... Right, normally, unless the workers prevent her. And sometimes they'll do that. How do you see what goes on? Do you guys have, like, all the bees in, like, a little microscope place so you can kind of just observe <laughs> what's going on with them? Uh, we actually put them, uh, imagine a, a picture window. So two panes of glass with combs in between. And, and there's only, it's only one comb deep, so you can see everything the bees are doing. That's basically how people know. Wow. Um, and then what's the difference between, like, boy bees and girl bees? Okay. Other than, like, a penis. Right. Um, so males are, in, in honeybees, are haploid. So they have only one set of chromosomes. Humans um, and females are diploid. They have two sets of chromosomes. So one fascinating thing is that beekeepers figured this out pretty soon, uh, sorry, pretty early on, and they realized that f- uh, virgin birth is actually possible in honeybees because an unfertilized female just passes her egg through, and if she puts it into a cell and it's fed, it can develop into a son. Oh, how can she lay an egg in a cell on purpose? They all do that? So typically, <laughs> I realize bees are really complicated. When there's a queen and the colony's queen right, all of her daughters When have the colony's what? Queen right. Oh, and that just means like, oh, the queen's here. It's right. We're working. We're killing it. Exactly. Cute. And, and the queen is, is producing about 2,000 eggs a day, and she's healthy, and she smells like a good queen. Oh, and so and the, normally the queen is the only one making eggs? Yes. But sometimes a baby worker bee can pass an egg in there and just slip one in and it can work? Um, except for the police. Except for the police. Right. So there are worker police, believe it or not, that go around and only one in every 10,000 eggs is actually one that slipped in from a worker. They'll eat it. How do they know? It smells different. Oh, my God, they'll eat it. Mm-hmm. Would that be that, like, the egg ever be traced down and be like, bitch, stop laying your eggs? So the workers normally have suppressed ovaries. And there's some I- suggestion that if you are a female worker and you're a worker in a queen right colony, other bees will be more aggressive towards you if you have your ovaries activated because you'll smell different. So haploid, diploid, cute, cute, got it. So then what's, okay, so then, oh, my God. No, no. So then how, um, you know how, like, the they, in, in the wild or in, you know, bees that are being kept to pollinate stuff on purpose because there's companies or something that have bees that they take around. Is that a thing? Yes. Okay. So whether they're, you know, bees that are being kept for colonies or they're running around in the nature, you know, flying around. Like I was reading that in one of those diseases, a lot of them are like, because typically in like a normal year, what, like 20 to 30 percent die just from not getting enough food and it's cold and the colony dies. But then recently in the last couple of years, like bigger amounts have been dying. And is that that's due to the five things that we were kind of talking about earlier. Right. Um, So uh, both the bees that are like in the companies that get taken around and they're all across the board being affected by these things. It's actually worse among managed bees, bees that are being sort of used for pollination. And that might have to do with some of the stressors we talked about, the ease with which diseases can pass through. But I have to say, it it affects everybody. Um, We keep a research apiary. We don't transport our colonies. And our apiary only has about 15 to 20 uh, colonies in it. But we still also suffer typically these 20 to 30% winter losses. So that's just kind of standard. But recently, Mm -hmm. they've just been like bigger and a little bit more aggressive, some of the losses. But then I did read one article that said that over the last five years, it's been declining. Like the losses have been declining. It, it, it's maybe slightly, but on average between 20 to 30%, which I should say is actually not normal. Oh, that's so, not normal. Yeah. In, in the old days, um, I would think that, you know, a loss of 10 to 15% would be better. Okay. 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 Um, and then what is like, uh, we have like 
no time left, but I have to ask like a few more questions. So we're just going to go to like rapid fire bee knowledge. Sure. Worker bees, police workers, queens. Like what, what are the categories of all the bees in a colony? And is there different categories for different species? Sure. So um, in the highly social bees, you essentially have three casts or three different categories, the queen, the drones, and the daughters. Okay. And then queens are queens. We know what those are, I think. Drones are? The males. And workers are the ladies? Are the females, right? And the workers do all the work. The drones do nothing at all. And they just F. Uh, They just eat and exactly, they go out and hopefully find a virgin queen. Oh, so the boys don't just run around the colony and, like, lay sperm in those little hexagons? No. No, they have to uh, find a virgin queen and mate with her. So they got to leave the colony. Right. Go find another colony. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That's, like, literally a whole uh, other podcast. Actually, they, they go to these clubs. They're called drone congregation sites, and they, they hang around hundreds of them. Are you fucking kidding me? No, and all the virgins go there. So there's, like, a bee sex club. Uh, yes. Like a bee swinger uh-huh. sex club. In the air. Where virgins are, like, above value. It's like, there is so much going on there, I can't even handle it. Okay, so, and then, but then in in less socialized bee colonies, there's less caste categories sometimes or something? So in, in, for example, let's talk about bumblebees. Those are also social, but... Are bumblebees honeybees? They are, right? No, they're a different kind of bee. Oh, so bumblebees aren't honeybees? Correct. But we have bumblebees here. We do. What are yellow jackets? Yellow jackets are actually wasps. So that's related. They look like bees. They suit. They do a little bit, yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, so bumblebees. So bumblebees also have queens, drones, and workers, but there's a little bit less differentiation between the queens and her workers. So basically, you, you have the top of this pyramid, the highly social bees that are the most differentiated in these different types, and then lower down in bees that are less social, you have less differentiation. And basically, the daughters are a little bit less like obedient daughters and a little bit more like queens. Because they're, they're ready to, to kind of take over if necessary and make it on their own. Oh, I love that about them. <laughs> um, okay. All right. What do people need to know about, like, helping bees? Like, how can we be less rude to bees? Great question. So I think one thing is that because of the pesticide issue, we could try to be careful about the use of pesticides in our garden. We could promote more organic practices. We can actually try to grow plants in our gardens that are bee-friendly using native plants, especially here, that are drought tolerant. And I think the basic thing is is just sort of to, to learn about bees, how important they are, and to realize that honeybees are really just a small part of the equation. I do want to add one important thing. Honeybees are not in danger of going extinct. People often ask that. But there are many other bees, which you've talked about previously at the very beginning of this mass extinction. They are going extinct. There are native species of bumblebees that are going extinct. And so... Here in, uh, in the U.S. Here in the U.S., yes. Yeah. All over the world, actually. So... Um, I'd love to have you back and talk about like a day in the life of like a honeybee or even if we could do like a day in the life of like five different species and just do like three minutes a piece. Like I so want to know more. Like I feel like you've just like wet my whistle for bees. I want to know so much more. Like in the words of how I used to, I like my little baby brain. She's just been like, just, I just feel like you've just wined and dined her. My, my honey brain. Um, it's just. Crazy. Where can people find you? So um, you can just Google my name, and uh, I have a website with the University of California, San Diego, that has all my info Wait, and my do research. Live, do you live in San Diego or here? I live in San Diego, yeah. No. Are you up here a lot? Not very often, unfortunately. 
well, what are you going to come back? I need to have you back. We need to talk more about bees. Okay. Well, maybe you can find a time. That would be okay. Good. We'll find more time. Yeah. But you will come back. You had a good enough time to come back. Yes. Okay, yeah. cute. Oh, my God. Thank you so much for coming. Sure. Ah, obsessed. <laughs> You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Vaness. My guest this week was Dr. James Nye. You'll find links to Dr. Nye's work in the episode description of whatever device you're listening to the show on. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at JVN. Also, I have a gorgeous little Facebook fan page, honey. She's like at JVN too, I think. Uh, if it's not, sorry. Um, also, our theme music is free by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. Also, my mom made my website. That's not on the script right now, but you should know that. My mom built my website. It's gorgeous. Go to JonathanVanessa.com. Check it out. She's cute. Um, my mom's a badass, and she just makes stuff. And you guys, if you love getting curious, tell people about it. And um, But actually, I have to say, I don't want to say that every time, because you guys are telling people about it. I'm so grateful. Honestly, like, so grateful. The love and the, and the feedback and just your guys' support means the world to me and uh, every download means so much to me and I, I really do appreciate it so much and I'll, I'll see you next time I'm getting curious. 